Welcome to episode 39 of the Various and Sundry podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined in studio by my good friend, my colleague, and the man who has finally broken out the vest because it's fall. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's some good vest weather. John Sloat. It's some excellent vest weather. Yes. Uh, I saw saw our pastor busted out yesterday, and I went... It's time. Well, it's outdoor. We're still outdoors, yeah, we're still too. Outdoors. So that that makes a lot of sense. And it's it's brisk enough today that I, I can I can affirm your choice as being wise here. But um, you may notice, listeners, that in the intro, I did not uh, communicate where we are recording this episode. We are still live from the campus of Grace College and Theological Seminary, but we've been moved. We have been. Yeah. So. Our previous studio is being repurposed. I think it's a video studio now. I think yeah. is the plan. Sure. Okay. And um, the the podcasting equipment has now been moved to um, – how would you describe this to our listeners, John? The vault. The, the vault. The dungeon. <laughs> yes. This, this drab, horrifying room that has no vents. Yeah. No windows. Yes. Um. They did put down some lovely carpet squares for us, yeah, which, which are new. Um, but it's a little terrifying in here. Yeah. So uh, in a, in the seminary building here at Grace, we um, we we took this building over from previous occupants. It was a peaceful takeover, not a hostile one. And uh, there's a room that's called the vault, which has a like a. How would you describe it? It's basically like a bank vault door. Yeah, it's got a combination lock on the door and everything. Yeah. And so we are recording from within the vault, mm-hmm. which is a little terrifying in the event that we get locked in. We've been assured that there is a way to escape. And we have confirmed we have cell signals in here. <laughs> we have Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. So worst case scenario, we think we could still get out because even the ceiling we've discovered is uh, – it's it's all concrete. This is basically a, a big concrete box. And so if it sounds echoey, that's what's going on. Yeah. Because we're in the vault. Yeah. So I, I I don't know I don't know how this is gonna affect us. It's just it's gonna take us a little bit to get unsettled uh, yeah. to get settled in because it's a little unsettling as we're surrounded by storage shelves and um though I mean there are copies of my books right behind me. Yeah, so yeah, this is where we keep them all. <laughs> Yeah, so we are we are broadcasting from the uh, arguably maybe the second largest location, uh, second largest collection of my books in anywhere. Probably. And where's the first? I'd imagine with the publisher. Okay, which publisher though? Because you have competing publishers, even behind you there. Well, the Philippians commentaries, I think um, that would be in Scotland. Okay, with the publisher there is my is my estimation. The we we have fewer copies, I think, of asking the right questions. That's from Crossway. That's located in uh, Wheaton, Illinois. Mm-hmm. So, in any case, uh, if we if we seem a little off of our game, that that might be one explanation. It might be one of the possibilities. Yeah. If you'd like to get in touch with us, um, you can find us on Twitter at V and S Pod. You can email the show various and sundry podcast at gmail we have a Facebook page where you can uh, track us down, Various and Sundry Podcast. Give us a like. Give us a follow. And, of course, one of the best things you can do to help the show along is to go into the podcast app and leave a five-star rating. 
and write us a little review. Help other people discover the show and explain maybe why you're a fan of it. If you want to give some constructive critical feedback in there, that's fine too. But five stars. But five stars is is the non-negotiable. Or or we'd recommend just walk down the street and tell a friend. Yeah, that's 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 a good thing too. You T- know? Tell a friend about the podcast that you love so dearly. Yeah, post on social media, something like that. So sport. all those things. Yeah, absolutely. So in the world of sports, lots going on here, John. It's a weird fall, isn't it? It is. It is, especially – and we're not even going to talk about the NHL finals, Stanley Cup finals at this point. That, yeah. That's not even on our radar really. But that is going on. We've got the NBA finals now set in terms of the teams. Uh, we're recording this on a Monday afternoon, so last night the Heat beat the Celtics to close out that series at uh, – you said heat heat beat the Celtics. Yes, you is got that, that right. I, I thought okay. you I thought you said Lakers at first. I apologize. But no, you you're said good. you said heat. That's my bad. That's all right. I know you're really amped up today. I'm, you know, you're, I'm on edge. <laughs> yeah, it's been a busy day. We're flying around. Yeah. And and uh, I think I think that might come out in some takes. Okay. But we'll see how we'll that, see. <laughs> that goes. Hot, hot take alert here from John Sloat. In any case, uh so the Heat closed out the Celtics in uh six games. So that means that the Heat and the Lakers start the NBA Finals on Wednesday night. Which is fun. Yeah. I, I think that'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. Who you got? I'm probably taking the Lakers. Yeah. You got a number of games in that? I'm going to say six. I like that pick. Uh, that's that's kind of what I was thinking as well. So um, NFL week three. And um, this is the opposite of breaking news, but – the Jets are still bad. Oh, gosh, the Jets are bad. I got to watch them this weekend for the first time this season. So they yeah. were they played the Colts, so they're on local television here. Right. And uh and it was it was a sad, sad day to watch. Um first of all, I don't did did you catch any of the game? So I caught only a little bit. I came in um after Darnold had thrown the the pick six to start the game. Okay, okay. So I missed that. That's great. So that's the opening drive. Right. He throws a pick six. Right. He then comes back on the field, drives down the field, and scores a touchdown. Yeah. He looked great. Um, game's tied 7-7. Like eight minutes are gone. And the Colts haven't – their offense hasn't been on the field yet. Right. Um, and so uh, – and, so, and then it just – nosedive from from there yeah yeah that was the high point arguably since they ended up losing 38 uh, that was the high point of the season <laughs> thus far <laughs> it, it's so bad they're they, they are rough to watch and and any anytime anything goes wrong on the field it's like we need to fire the coach which i agree i think we need to fire, fire the coach i also think there's, there's some responsibility on the players as well yeah darnold hasn't been particularly you know protected very well i mean three offensive linemen were out this week and then he threw three or four interceptions yesterday. But but people still say, boy, he looks crisp out there. You know, they'll talk glowingly about him as he's throwing interceptions. Yeah. So there's got to be some responsibility on him as well. Just well, saying. my take as an outsider, I haven't seen a lot, but um, if you're going to start a list of the biggest problems the Jets have, Sam Darnold probably doesn't make the top 10 in my view. Like he's pretty far down the list of things that need to be fixed before you get to Darnold. No, no. I mean I'm not convinced he's necessarily going to be this elite great NFL quarterback. He might be. I don't know. But um, yeah, he's he's pretty far down the list in terms of where I'd start in, in fixing problems. Yeah. 
I, I, I can agree with that. What would be at the top of that list for you? Well, from the outside, I mean, I, it would seem like it's much more of a um, upper management ownership kind of thing because when when you've been that bad that long with just some brief little glimpses of uh, – you know, you had Mark Sanchez. A couple Sanchez? Of, yeah. Uh, it just seems like it doesn't matter who they get even at points. Like they'll they'll bring in some offensive talent at points and it's like – then they're no good anymore. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> they bring in Le'Veon Bell and like, I know he's hurt right now, but yeah, you know, he just didn't look like a hundred million, hundred million dollar Le'Veon Bell. Yeah. So I don't know. I think there's plenty to plenty. You know, it, it strikes me as a place that just, they just need to clean the house, mm-hmm. you know, ownership, gen, you know, general manager. The general manager is still pretty new um, and is well thought of in the industry. So I think, I think they'll probably keep him, but I agree for the most part, I think they need to clean house and um, get rid of some people starting with the head coach, I'd say, and the owner. Yep. Yeah. I'm I'm good with that. Uh, College football finally had some, uh, some intrigue this weekend with some uh, top 10 teams going down. Yeah. So Oklahoma, Lost to uh, Kansas State University Kansas State. coming to you from Manhattan, Kansas. Yes. You've been to Manhattan. Why, why were you in Manhattan, Kansas, John? Um, I was at a golf camp <laughs> my freshman year of high school. I spent a week at Kansas State University, as all high school students love to do. Yeah. And I played golf for an entire week at a Jim Colbert uh, uh, design course who was a PGA tour player a number of years ago. Gotcha. Yeah. So yes, I was at Kansas State University in Manhattan, Kansas. Which is the middle of nowhere. Which which is the middle of nowhere. Yeah. For a week. Yeah. My fresh after my freshman year of high school, I believe. Yeah. Well in any case, uh the week before, Kansas State had lost to Arkansas State, which I believe is an FCS team. Like like a division down from division yeah. one. And um Kansas State rallied from uh, a ways a ways down. I can't remember if they're down 20, 21 points, something like that, um, to upset the uh, the vaunted Sooners. So I was not sad about that, to be honest, because I thought they were probably overrated. But in any case, LSU also lost. Defending national champions lost. Missing to, Joe Burrow. To yeah. They're, they're missing a lot more than Joe Burrow. <laughs> uh, they lost to Mississippi State, who is coached by – do you know this? Um, is this the guy that was at Washington for a number of years? Washington State. Washington State. Uh, 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 Leach. Yeah, Mike Leach. Mike Leach. One of, the, one of the best characters in college football in terms of just his weird takes and just things. But he runs a very distinct form of offense. Um Carter Minshew was his quarterback and, at Washington uh, State. He was uh, – so he's new to the SEC and his uh, Mississippi State team put up – I think it was something like 630 passing yards on LSU. And of course, uh, that didn't make me sad either because <laughs> uh, LSU has been uh, wrongly claiming to be DBU, defensive back university, when – if you look at the numbers, Ohio State has produced more first-round draft picks and more cornerbacks and safeties into the league, et cetera. But they were, you know, claiming to be the best university if you want to be a defensive back. And, you know, it didn't make me sad to see them give up 630 yards, John. 
I saw uh, I saw an interview with Steve Spurrier when Mike Leach got hired at Mississippi State, mm-hmm. and um, they were like, "Coach, what do you think about what do you think about Mike Leach?" And he goes, "Oh, I, I like the Leacher. I like the Leacher." <laughs> As yeah. only Steve Spurrier can. Indeed. Uh, and uh, Texas had to go to overtime to survive Texas Tech in a uh, defensive struggle. I think 63-56 was the final on that one. Mm. So, again, the, those Big 12 defenses just absolutely just shutting teams up. down. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's pretty pretty impressive in any case. More uh, points or fans at that game? Uh, yeah, it's toss-up. You know, yeah. I don't know what the local restrictions are there, but – it's, a, it's at least an open question. So uh, – and the AP poll was released on, on Sunday. And so it's interesting. The Ohio State had not been in it the week before because they weren't playing and they hadn't announced yet that they were playing. You know, the Big Ten was coming back. Sure. So they went from being number two in the AP poll to being unranked, which was the largest drop in the AP poll history. Okay. And then this week – they're back at number six, which is the highest debut of an unranked team in the AP poll history. So there's going to be all sorts of COVID asterisks around this. But yeah, I was about to say it's such a weird year, and even some of these some of these games where I'm like, yeah, does Oklahoma in a regular year get beaten by Kansas State? Well, but here's the thing: Kansas State was down in their secondary in terms of like they had guys who were playing defensive back who were like third, fourth string. They, they were missing like six, seven guys because of injuries and COVID and that kind of stuff. And so it's it's a really bad loss for mm. Oklahoma. So and then uh, last thing on the sports wrap up here, the Major League Baseball season. Baseball playoffs started or will start. Yep. Yes. So this will release on a Tuesday, which means that I think that's the first night of the – or maybe the first day of the expanded wild card. That sounds right. Yeah. And are your Mets participating in this? Uh, in a league where the top half of the teams get in, uh, the Mets are not in it. Um, but the team has sold. I don't know if I've mentioned that before. You have, yes. Uh, to one Steve Cohen, um, <laughs> who apparently isn't a very good human being. Um, but uh, and, and so the uh, hope springs anew for yeah. for the Mets. Yeah. So I I should have probably looked at this before we uh, went to record, but they're doing some sort of. Uh, bubble pod kind of system for this. I, I can't yeah, I remember think they're the doing details, one, one or two locations. I can't remember which, but they're they're sort of all kind of clumped together um, so that uh, there's kind kind of the NBA style yeah. um, sorts of things. And I th- I think Major League Baseball wanted to make it through the regular season so that they could get to the postseason because that's really where they make their money. Right. Um, and fewer teams means it's easier to manage a potential um, bubble kind of an environment when you have thirty. Is it thirty teams in Major League Baseball? Yeah, I think so. Even 15 or 16 or however many they've got is going to be challenging in the playoffs. But um, Yeah, when, so this, we'll, when this drops tomorrow, the first game will be at 2 o'clock. So this will drop around the first time. So this could be your pregame sort of uh, preparation for that. What, what's, yeah. that what's that game tomorrow? Uh, 2 o'clock. Um, everybody's favorite, Houston Astros against the Minnesota <laughs> Twins. <laughs> Get your trash cans ready. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, one of my favorite Twitter follows this year has been the uh, uh, Houston Astros sh- Shame Tour is what okay. it's called. Nice. And, and they just constantly post terrible stats about the Houston Astros. Nice. Although they were good. They were better than the Mets, obviously. Obviously. So in any case, lots of going, lots going on in the world of sports. And um, we, uh, though, are ready to move on to our uh, main topic. 
And, you know, we've been, I, I feel like we've been a little bit of a hiatus when it comes to talking about COVID. Well, we broke COVID. That's true. I mean, we we were on the front edge of breaking news when it came to COVID. In fact, there's a there's a distinct possibility that if you were one of our earliest listeners, the first time you heard about the coronavirus it was one of our first couple episodes. Could have been from our podcast. Yeah, because because at the time I was planning a trip to Taiwan. Right. Um, like I do every spring break at Grace, which which normally falls first week of March. Yeah. Um, and so was was preparing for that trip and just sort of watching this disease make its way across China, um, ironically not to Taiwan hardly at all, yeah. um, and to the rest of the world. Uh, I was following it pretty closely, um, and so we and so we were talking about it here, which which is just funny now to look back that <laughs> yeah. this has now altered our lives for the last yeah. uh, six months and probably will for the next at least six months. Yeah. So uh, I feel like we've. Obviously, we've talked a lot about COVID on, on, on the show here, but not a ton recently, mm-hmm. and in part because it just kind of feels like we've settled in to some semblance of at least a temporary new normal, mm-hmm. right? So the school year started here for us. Uh, our campus has a set of policies in place in terms of mask wearing and social distancing and those kinds of realities, and thankfully, uh, we have not had uh, any – serious issues with COVID at this point. I mean, yeah. we, we, you know, obviously we've had some students get COVID and, and others be put off into quarantine for contact tracing and that kind of stuff. But I, I'm confident that if you asked our administration, uh, if you'd asked them two months ago and you'd have given them, here are the numbers, end of September, they'd have been like- They're over the moon. We're tickled pink. That, that yeah. if, if they could be that good, that'd be unreal. Yeah. So- uh, that's been an encouraging thing. But we wanted to kind of move out of the more immediate discussion of COVID and think today for our main topic about what we anticipate some of the long-term effects of COVID on the church will be. Mm-hmm. And so, John, I'm asking you to dial up your gift of prophecy here okay. and, uh, and, and, and help us think through this when it comes to uh, based on what we've seen so far, what are uh, what are some of the things that you think might be some long term effects of COVID on the church? Uh, my hope is a long term effect of COVID on the church is the meet and greet time goes away. <laughs> that this forced social interaction dies. Okay, that's all I have to say. Well, it's going to be an awfully short episode. If that's all you have to say. So. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm generally no fan of that myself, but um, yeah, and and I think um, obviously that's that's a lighthearted example of something that we think hopefully might change. But mm-hmm. um, do you have a, a serious one to start our conversation here? Yeah, and um, I, I think there's two sides to this coin. I think I think there are some people. Uh, who will look at like the the church gathered and and be like, boy, I really long for that. Um, my church hasn't been together in months. D- depending on what area of the country you're mm-hmm. in, my church hasn't been together in months, or uh, it's not the same, or we haven't been inside. Well, whatever it may be, right? And I think there will be a longing for that. On the flip side, I, I do think there will be a piece of or a segment of the church who 
says, my goodness, let's keep streaming this so that I can watch from my living room more regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's probably more of a negative um, aspect, except for probably the exception of the shut-in or, or somebody who's uh, bedridden or, or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I do hope that part of one of uh, that that one of the implications is that that there will be this renewed longing for the physical gathering of the local church mm-hmm. that people will in fact uh, feel and even even though I know our our local church is we are still meeting but we're meeting outside it's just different. Yeah. And it you know, can be hard to get a feel for because you're so spread out across the parking lot and into the grass and, and that sort of thing of who's there, who's not there. And uh, there's still, you know, regardless of what church you're probably in, in most cases, there's at least some who are a little skittish mm-hmm. about, you know, give me the hug, you know, sh- shaking hands. Shaking hands has been a weird thing. Yeah. Um, so in any case, uh, my hope is that that does happen, that it has created a, a higher valuing of the physical gathering of the local church. But I share your concern mm-hmm. that for a, a portion of people who are, um, who are still uh, go, going to church virtually, which is an oxymoron in, in, in a sense, but um, – for those who are streaming it, and not to say that there aren't people who are there are, we are in a phase of time where that's there are legitimate reasons for doing that absolutely like yeah. if if you're sick, you shouldn't be going to church like mm-hmm. stay home, watch the live stream, or if you have you know if you're in one of the high risk populations, absolutely stay home, stream it, and um you know don't put yourself at risk mm-hmm. however i I share your concern that. Once things return back to some semblance of normalcy, um, I, I do worry that some churches will feel the pressure to continue to live stream, and I personally think that's a bad idea. I, th- I think there will – some churches will feel the pressure, and I do agree that's a bad – but I think some churches will jump in with both feet. Yeah, and be excited about that. Probably, um, and I'm I'm I am a little nervous about that. And then how do you count that attendance, right? Because then they're like, well, every viewer is two point two people, or I, I don't know how that I don't know how that math would work. And then they're saying, well, we had three hundred people here, but we had forty viewer, we had forty views of this live stream. Mm-hmm. Therefore, that's eighty people. You know, um, so really, we have a church of almost four hundred. You know, and, and begin to begin to work through things that way. Yeah, but, um, but you really right. don't have a church of four hundred. No, 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 no. no. Um, I mean, and this this goes back to our conversation last episode of the difference between a consumer mentality versus a covenant yes. mentality in terms of your participation in the local church. Uh, if you have a consumer approach, why wouldn't I stream it if it's just more convenient? You know, less demanding and. Um, allows me to flex my time if I want to watch later, if and, I don't want to watch in that and, morning. And from a consumer perspective like that, that sounds great. You know, I can I can get up, throw on gym shorts and a hoodie, get some lovely coffee, sit down in my big chair and watch church like yeah. from, a, from a consumer. But at the same time, my goodness, I've made a commitment to these people. Um, I've uh, made a covenant to the people around me right. to be in church services and to be a part of that community. And- and that is such a deeply 
I mean, this is accepting. This is sort of bracketing out the. Of course, there might be people who have health issues that they should not be physically attending church. But but that's been that's been the reality for for the history of the church. Sure, we have people who are too sick to attend, or you know maybe they're in a in a uh, nursing home facility or something where they can't physically come. Okay, we're not talking about those people. We're talking about the perfectly healthy people who just out of convenience decide. I kind of like being able to stream it on Saturday night or Sunday morning. And um, at the end of the day, it's not just about what you get out of it. Mm -hmm. Like if you're going to be part of a local church, you are supposed to be a contributor. And I have no idea how you contribute to a local church. And I'm not just talking about money. I mean, you can give online, obviously. I'm talking about being a part of a local church. You should be invested in the sense of, I'm giving my time. I'm I'm serving in these capacities. I'm looking for ways to to help others. The serving. comment section, Matt. You get in that comment section and you just go crazy. Oh, okay, <laughs> good. Yeah, that's that that's going to change the world and uh, make a difference. Um, so, in any case, uh, I, I share that concern, and I, I think churches should be prepared for that dynamic in terms of thinking about once we get to a point where uh, the 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 return to normal happens. I would say that churches should strongly, strongly consider no longer live streaming mm-hmm. their services. I know I've had conversations with our pastor, and I, I believe that's the intent of our church is to stop that live streaming. Yes, that's my um, and, and if there are people that that are shut ins and and need uh, something like that, record it and send it to them. You know, you yeah. know, they can watch it at a later date. Yeah, and there are. Um, there are ways around that uh, to, to help accommodate people in those in those situations. So, um, but I, I share your concern that some will be enamored with that and see, oh, look at all these people we could reach and it'd be great. And I think mm, I I don't know that that's that's really what's what's going to happen there. And and our hope is is that the. The opposite happens that people are like, my goodness, the live stream is great, but I really feel like I need to be with the body today. Right. Um, and I think that's the uh, that's the hope. I think we're both a little cynical that that may or may not happen. Us? Cynical? Uh, perhaps just me. I know you're Mr. Positive. <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, um, okay, so I threw out one. Why don't, yeah. why don't you throw out one now? Well, what, what's, what's a long-term effect? of COVID on the church? So I think um, I think this one is – it's related to other issues, but I think it has been exacerbated by COVID is the relationship between the church and governing authorities. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, we've got now uh, two – of the more prominent evangelical churches who are suing the government Mm -hmm. because of uneven application of restrictions upon churches. So you've got John MacArthur's church out in Los Angeles, and now you've got Mark Dever's church in Washington, D.C., who who, who both have filed uh, lawsuits against their local governing authorities for the uh, for uneven application of the COVID restrictions, mm-hmm. and I think that part of part of why I think this matters 
is because I think this raises the issue of religious liberty Mm -hmm. and what is the relationship between governing authorities and the church such that, you know, here we have these obvious examples in one sense of, you know, for example, in Washington, D.C., Capitol Hill Baptist is suing the uh, local government in Washington, D.C. I believe specifically the mayor of D.C. Yeah. Because uh, of uneven application of the COVID restrictions. So Capitol Hill Baptist wants to meet outside in socially distanced and masks and everything, but they've been turned down for that, while at the same time, the city of Washington, D.C. has approved exemptions for protests yeah. in the city and you know made provisions for that and allowed them to do that. And so that's that's been the basis of that particular lawsuit in the city of Washington, D.C., the uneven application of COVID restrictions. Mm-hmm. But the reason I think that this is a long-term issue beyond what we have with current circumstances is it it is not difficult to see a day in the future when the church is already and is continuing to become more and more on the margins when it comes to acceptable cultural beliefs, mm-hmm. in particular when it comes to sexual ethics. Mm-hmm. So that in other parts of the world, uh, pastors and churches can get in government trouble for af- for affirming the biblical sexual ethic that homosexuality is sinful and not consistent with God's revealed will. Now, I don't know if, if slash when that will happen here in the United States, but it does seem like uh, these are some of the initial skirmishes in that larger question of the relationship between the government and sort of freedom of expression for churches. And I I have a hard time seeing that subsiding. In other words, it might die down temporarily once the restrictions are lifted and things kind of go back to normal. But I feel like these are sort of the, the opening skirmishes in a much longer conflict mm-hmm. that there'll be um, even more significant battles down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, one, one person that I follow on this to to help me understand the law, because because frankly, you know, I went I went to seminary, not law school, and uh, uh, the law can be very very tricky to understand. Um, as uh, as a, a guy on Twitter, evangelical guy named David French, mm-hmm. um, he's very helpful, and and he pointed at the Capitol Hill case and said. The church is right. This is this is unequally uh, being applied, and he he thinks they have a very strong case um, in that in that sense. And I, I think I think you're right uh, in the uh, government, even even uh, mainstream media uh, doesn't seem to have a sense of what uh, religion is or how it functions. And I, th- I think we saw that this week uh, with uh, with uh, Amy Coney Bryant. Is it Barrett? Barrett. There it is. Uh, I've been calling her ACB. Um, yeah, me too. <laughs> um, where I mean, she's replacing potentially RGB. So yeah, it's just, yeah. you know, the three initials works well. So uh, where they've, they've really gone after her for her faith. Um, and when they said, oh, my goodness, she's a part of a covenant community. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's just like so is, so is most evangelicals, you know. Um, <laughs> right. You know, it, it was just – 
it was just a it was just a sense of like you don't really understand religion in America, particularly uh, evangelical or Catholic, like uh, right. like uh, like uh, Judge Barrett is. There you go. Yeah, yeah, and I think that part of what that betrays is the fact that um, there are a lot of people in the media like that that have never met an actual sort of evangelical, like an ordinary everyday kind of sure. evangelical Christian. Not the well, yeah, I had so I had you know Russell Moore on my show, I had Al Mohler on my show, I had John MacArthur on my show. You didn't really meet him, like. Yeah, I mean, you interviewed him and you met him, but like, they don't have a neighbor who's like just the the ordinary faithful Christian who attends church every Sunday and maybe even on Wednesday takes his kids to the kids program, and just a a, a sort of ordinary Christian kind of person that it feels like a lot of the media uh, just has never met a person like that, and so they just can't understand them. They don't understand how how that works, and so you know, even when uh, Judge Barrett was. You know, they had the news feed on her and her seven kids and husband coming out of their home and getting into the minivan. Mm-hmm. And you can just tell the media is like, what kind of freak is this woman <laughs> that she's got seven kids and she's a judge? How does that work? Yeah. And she's adopted two kids from Haiti. Yeah. And I did see – I know we're diverging here, but it was interesting to see someone pointed out you know, that she was – some media figures are asking, how can she possibly be a good mother to that many kids and be a judge? And someone responded back, I don't ever remember asking Antony uh, Scalia how he could possibly be a good father to his nine children. Yeah, the, the double standard is real. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah so, it's, a, uh, it's, a, it's a funny thing. And I, I, I think you know, one of the reflections I have coming out of that is – you know, in in particularly the the United States, is we have we have seen to gather in clumps of like minded people. Yeah. Um, whether it's the suburb, whether it's in a city, whether it you know liberal, uh, uh, conservative, or whether it's evangelical, non religious, you, you tend to clump together. Yeah. And I think that's I think that is becoming a real a real issue across our society, where it's it's difficult to see the other side of the tracks, as sure. it were. Yeah. Um, and something that you know, maybe, maybe we need to consider moving to a different part of town where we're not around people like us. Um, that that could be a very good thing. Yeah. So uh, back to the main topic here in terms of I I, I do I do just think um, the these are the some of the opening skirmishes in in larger arguments about the relationship between governing authorities and uh, evangelical churches. And ultimately, it will be interesting to see what happens within evangelicalism itself because there's clearly uh, a difference of opinion within the larger evangelical movement oh, about the wisdom of suing the, the, the government and you know, fighting for these sort of constitutional protections or you know, not going that route and – there's even some, you know, some pretty clear, I think, fault lines showing up between sort of the kind of like the, the John MacArthur camp and mm-hmm. his um, followers and uh, people who are sympathetic to him and his approach, and even uh, 
you know, people who are even sympathetic to the sort of Mark Dever and Capitol Hill Baptist crowd because uh, Jonathan Lehman, one of their uh, lead writers for Nine Marks, wrote an article after MacArthur announced their lawsuit and, and just raised some questions about um, there should be room for conscience here. That, In other words, that he wasn't convinced that Christians are required to sue the government mm-hmm. over that issue that MacArthur was fighting. And now, of course, here we are a few months later, and Capitol Hill Baptist is doing something similar, though there are different points of the law that they're pushing against. So they're not the exact same thing. And even the way they're doing it is pretty different. But there's clearly even a, a fissure within the larger evangelical movement that you could sort of associate with Gospel Coalition or even Together for the Gospel, where I do wonder if one of the longer-term effects of this will be a diminishing of some of the cooperation across those different um, sub-tribes mm-hmm. within our uh, tribe of evangelicalism. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good and, – and I think we see some of that even even to a smaller extent just on the local level, right? Mm-hmm. I, I mean we see some churches that are very uh, like, hey, everybody needs to be distanced. Everybody needs to be wearing a mask. Everybody needs to uh, – uh, you know, the, this is what we're going to do in our church. Yes. And then we see some that are just like free-for-alls, right? Um, yes. But, pretend this hasn't happened or – and um, even in, in – uh, churches that find themselves in the middle, they have people on both yeah. extremes. And yeah, I think we're seeing that even with even within the congregations themselves at a much smaller level than just Absolutely. suing the government. Absolutely. Which that actually gets me to my last one that I that I want to mention. I don't know that I have it on the rundown here, but I I fear that we are also going to see a large number of pastors leave the ministry. Because okay, of, that, fe- that feels like a hot take. Because because of stress, because okay. of just it's too much. Hmm. Because in addition to the COVID piece, you've got a very contentious pol- a presidential election happening. What? Yeah. Were you not aware of this? Holy cow. Um, you've got the the larger cultural conversation about race and about race relations in our country. All these things tend to crack open those fault lines. And so inevitably, even the pastor who wants to try to navigate kind of a middle course is therefore constantly in danger of taking fire from both sides. Mm-hmm. So even just on the you, – you mentioned the, the COVID stuff with the masks. You know, one, a pastor might get from one person, I can't believe we're even meeting. I saw so-and-so not wearing a mask when we did meet outside. I can't believe you're not doing enough about this. You're not taking it seriously. Five minutes later, we email from another from another congregant. This is all a big conspiracy theory. There's nothing to worry about. Why are we being dumb sheep and just following what the government is telling us to do? And so – and then points in between that as well. And that's sure. just on the, on the, on the mask issue. That's not on the pol- political issue. That's not on the race issue. That's not even on any theological issues that are coming up. And, and then we and then we get to discipleship and evangelism right. and all and right. all the other things that we naturally think right. about. Right. And yeah. so I I do I do worry that we're going to see an increased number of pastors who say it's not worth it. I can't handle this. I'm tired of being caught in the middle and being shot at from all sides. 
And so I need to go find something else to do. I hope I'm wrong, Mm -hmm. but I fear that there will be an increased number of people leaving the ministry because of some of those pressures and stresses. Yeah, and I'm 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 hopeful in the coming uh, months and years things calm down a little bit. I, I think that's part of my prayer for pastors um, that are in the ministry that uh, things become less polarized. Um, I don't know that that's the case, um, but that's I think that's part of my my prayer and hope. Gotcha. So should we go ahead and mark this in the uh, in in the history of the various and sundry podcasts so we come back to this in like five years and. Uh, Check out our hot takes. And, and, and check see. out how, how all this turned out. <laughs> In any case, um, it is episode 39, and so it is time for us to move on to our athlete. 39, stellar number. Yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're scraping the bottom of the barrel here, to be honest, <laughs> when it comes to uh, having a lot of options. Well, um, do you want me to run down through, sure. through our, uh, our two athletes? <laughs> our two yeah. Um, and then you have a couple OSU players. Yeah. Uh, Larry Zonka. Yeah. Um, who played running back for the Miami Dolphins. I yes. believe he was on the perfect team. He was. Team? Yep. 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 Um, one of their key offensive players. Yep. Um, and then, uh, and then, uh, Dominic Hashik, uh, I believe Russian goaltender, uh, for the Detroit Red Wings for a number of years. And he was famous for his butterfly technique, um, where he would, uh, he would, um, get very low to the ground and, and be able to stop just about just about everything. And he, for for a long time, was considered the best goaltender in the National Hockey League. Um, eventually went back to Russia, played forward in Russia, um, got in a fight, got sued, escaped to the United States, and played goaltender again. It's <laughs> a great Dom- backstory, Dominic Hasek. That's no prep. That's just all all in head knowledge about Dominic Hasek. Well, you are our. Uh- NHL correspondent here on the not, show. I'm not comfortable with that, but um, <laughs> I know a little bit about Dominic Hasher. It's either you or me, and it's certainly, <laughs> certainly not me. So when it comes to some Buckeyes, uh, we've got two that I've flagged here, and I think I misspelled the name here. I, I think it was Jameer Martin, who was the fullback from 1998 to 2001, war number 39. And then more recently, and a, a more uh, accomplished player, I would argue, is Malik Harrison, linebacker who uh, is uh, playing this – is, this is his rookie year in the NFL right now. So he just finished at Ohio State. Oh, very nice. I think he was drafted in the second round, plays on the Ravens along with oh, okay. another uh, another Buckeye from last year's team, J.K. Dobbins. That, that's a good place to land because I was like, oh boy, where do he land? Did he land with the Bengals, the Jets, the Man. Browns? No, it's it was uh, it was it was the Ravens, which for a defensive player is a great place to land. Uh, yeah, yeah. For whatever reason, I'm not I'm not totally sure why that's been true for like the last twenty years. Yeah, but. I don't know. I don't know. But um, so, who 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 are you taking here? Um, I never saw Zonka play. I'm not sure you even knew Dominic Hasek existed. I did know the name. Okay. I did know the name. Yeah. Um, like when I saw the name, I'm like, oh, I, I recognize that name. I know he's a goalie. Yeah. That, that's about the extent of what I knew. Where's your comfortability with taking a Russian? <laughs> well, you know me, John. I, I, I've I long dreamed of visiting Russia. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm very okay with, with that. Okay. Um, Are we so going Dominic Hasek? If, if you want to go that route, I'm let's, fine with let's that. Let's go Dominic Hasek. Wow. 
Okay, upset pick there here. Yeah, okay. I was I was coming into this conversation expecting Zonka. So so was I. So it's always Dominic um, Hashik. All right. So one thing we liked. Uh, I can go first this week. I feel like I always ask you to go first, so I, I'll that's, go first this week. That's probably true. Yeah. yeah. So you're just trying to make the make the equity here. Um, so I have been doing uh, some reading in uh, in the area of critical theory and came across a book that's been very highly re- uh, regarded and I'm just a little ways into it and it's more than living up to its reputation. It's called Cynical Theories, How Activist Scholarship Made Everything About Race, Gender, and Identity and Why This Harms Everybody. Okay. So this is written by two um, liberal academics – Mm-hmm. who are essentially saying that the changes within scholarship that make everything about race, gender, and um, and identity have actually harmed us as a, as a culture and done us a disservice. So these are not these are not Christians and they have some very serious uh, concerns about these areas and okay. have enjoyed it very much so far. So I highly recommend it. Have you uh, come across the madness of crowds yet? I've heard of it. I've not read okay. it. I've read The Madness of Crowds. It's it's along similar lines. It's it's quite good. Um, there's also a podcast interview with him I listened to recently that I'll send your way. Um, but uh, but my one thing this week um, is a Netflix show that Andrea and I have been getting into, and it took a minute because it, it's not something that naturally appealed to me. It's a little bit more, a little bit more thriller horror. TV show and okay. that and I am not a big horror thriller individual. But Andrea is. Andrea is really. I know the five foot two blonde <laughs> woman is is more into horror than I am. Uh, but it's a show called uh, Lock and Key. So L O C K E and Key. Okay. Um, doesn't seem to have any connection to John Locke whatsoever. Okay. But uh, but it, it's been we, we've really enjoyed it. It's a fascinating show. Okay. Um, and it's it's been quite good. Glad to hear it. Okay, so NBA playoffs, NFL Week 3, college football, long-term effects of COVID on the church, Dominic Hasek in an upset. Yeah. And I like books that. and TV shows that we're interested in. That's right. I think uh, that by definition is our, uh, our, our various and sundry tastes. And so I'm ready to say mission accomplished if you are. Yeah, yeah. I think I have another meeting to go to at and some point. Today. we need to get yeah. out of this vault. Yeah, I'm hoping the door opens. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so too. So mission accomplished. And so until next time, the Lord bless y'all real good. Later. <laughs>